Today's lesson is the Savior is born. We find this in John chapter 1. At the start of the New Testament, the situation was very bleak for God's people. Even after God's people re returned to their land, they were still under the power of the Medo Persians. After them, the Greeks, and then after them, the Romans. The prophets were silent. The kingdom was broken. The future was very dark indeed. Greek and Roman culture had enveloped the entire area, and the elitist Pharisees and Sadducees had come into power to try to lead the Jews. But their only real hope was the coming of the Messiah. But when would that be? It was into this situation that Jesus was born. And everything changed when Jesus showed up. What must the Israelites have been feeling by the time the New Testament began? They had so many chances to honor God and follow Him, but they never really did fully. The world was growing darker and darker in sin and rebellion. All of this silence from God certainly led the people to think that God could have given up on them. Would he truly send a Messiah? Would the darkness prevail? Against this backdrop, John introduced his gospel by portraying Jesus as the light that gives life to all. The first point of this lesson is the Word of God in creation. And we find this in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, the God, was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that had been, has been created. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Now, the Greek word logos is translated word, and has multiple meanings for varying people in John's time. To the Jews, wisdom to the philosophers, reason, and in the Old Testament, God in action, in creation and revelation. But John added more meaning in describing Jesus as the Word, a pre-existent, personal, powerful, and active deity. Logos doesn't explain Jesus, but Jesus completes and fulfills all that Logos is. Now, John's Gospel presents a change in form from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The other three writers got ordained to tell the story of Jesus' life and ministry. The other Gospels present generally overlapping stories written to different audiences, whereas John's Gospel actually captures scenes from Jesus' life and topics in his teaching that are not mentioned in the other Gospels. Also, John did this in a very poetic fashion, replete with visual images that fit an audience steeped in Greek philosophy. The Gospel of John does not contain a standard birth story or even genealogy like the other Gospels, but begins with 18 verses known as the prologue to John's Gospel that are meant to orient the reader to why Jesus came into this world.
One concept that John used was the word was the word. The word existed with God from the foundation of the world and took on human form in the person of Jesus Christ. The concept of the word or logos would have been an oft-used image in philosophical discourse used as a foundational concept for grappling with issues of ultimate truth. John's gospel, however, doesn't present God as one who has given a word to people in the form of a philosophical discourse or a treatise on virtuous living. Instead, God sent a person who was the word to both embody and teach how a person could please God. Jesus' entire life and teaching was the word of God in human form. While Jesus is not named in the first few verses, the passage really comes to a, it's a crescendo to verse 17, where Jesus Christ is the one to whom all the vivid descriptions of verses 1 through 16 point. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John traced Jesus' origin far earlier than his birth, and in verses 1 and 2, made three claims about the Word. First, the Word was in the beginning. Second, the Word was with God. And third, the Word was God. Each point is of massive importance to us. The Son of God, the Word of God, existed from before the foundation of the world with God. And He was God. This passage takes full aim at heresy that would portray Jesus as a second class or as some type of cosmic afterthought that God and God the Father created after we ran out of other options. Jesus is God, and he's always been God. John then made one final point. This word created all things. The mechanism that God used to create all things was his spoken word. Let there be is the most often repeated command in Genesis chapter 1. John affirmed that this word is the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God who is the means for creation. John then added two more word pictures. He said that Jesus brought life and light. Again, these concepts would have been familiar to an audience who read and interacted with philosophical discourse of the day. Light and life were concepts that the pagan philosophers sought after. They aspired to a healthy, whole, virtuous life and sought to pursue the true logos in order to build that type of life. Light, they felt, was a clear image for those who understood truth and were truly enlightened. Jesus, the true word, brings both. He didn't bring light and life through moral discourse or modern philosophy, but through sacrifice. Light comes through knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ and through salvation by faith in him. The eternal Son of God graciously laid aside his eternal standing and position at the right hand of God to enter the world and to bring this salvation. Only through Jesus, then, can people experience light and life. They can't find this hope any other way. Through this introduction, John was claiming that Jesus is our only hope. 
Since Jesus is God and since he willingly entered the world to bring salvation, no matter how dark the world gets, no matter how overwhelming sin becomes, the light will ultimately prevail. God the Son existed before the creation of the world. He was not created when he came into this world. Rather, Jesus is the eternal Son of God who did something specific when he came into this world. He took on human form and entered this sin-darkened world to save sinners and to start the process of putting the world back together again from the terrors of sin. Jesus willingly laid aside his divine position and entered this world in the form of a servant who would lay down his life for his people. Now the second point is that the word of God in redemption and this is John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. <clears throat> now, after John tells his readers that Jesus is the light, he then introduces them to John the Baptist, who came as a witness, to tell others about the light. John the Baptist leveraged his voice to cry out to others to turn to Jesus, the light for salvation. John, the author of this gospel, not to be confused with John the Baptist, shows the humility on display in John the Baptist's faithful witness. John the Baptist was not the light and did not portray himself as such. He understood that his role was merely to point to Jesus. He was sent by God to testify that Jesus is the Messiah, the true light, and that he gives light to everyone, not just some, but to all. And John the Baptist was proclaiming that the Messiah was coming into the world so that all who would listen could get ready. John the Baptist was a precursor for all faithful Christians who use their lives to declare and demonstrate that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. Verse 10 picks up on the preceding point that Jesus was coming into the world and begins to focus on Jesus' mission and people's response. John, the author, made it clear that though Jesus was coming into the world, he was already in the world, and the world was made through him. Again, John was clarifying the pre-existence of Christ. Though the Son as God created the world, the world did not know him. Here's the word, world. Here the word world is used actually to describe the entire creation that is, a bro is broken due to Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. The entire cosmos has fallen, and God sent Jesus to save it ultimately to put the world back together again from the effects of sin and Satan. John noted the stark contrast. Jesus came to save the world, but the world did not recognize him. 
John drew attention to the irony. Jesus spoke the world into creation, yet creation did not recognize its own creator. This would be akin to a child not even recognizing his or her parents. The language isn't merely that the world did not believe, but that the world did not even recognize the Messiah. Then John wrote that Jesus came to his own. Here, his own is clearly a reference to the Jewish nation, the covenant people of God. Since Genesis chapter 12 and the great call of Abram, who was later referred to as Abraham, God's saving intentions in the world came to pass through these people. They were given the covenant promises. They had the law. They had the sacrificial system. They had the temple. They had the priesthood. They had the land. They had the kings and the prophets. If anyone should have recognized Jesus, it was this group. Their entire national identity hinged on the coming of the Messiah. John lamented that they did not believe. This note at the beginning of John's gospel is a foreshadowing of what was to come for Jesus. John was crafting a theological treatise on Jesus' ministry, not simply attempting to sketch a chronological map of his life. John said from the very beginning that those most prepared to recognize and respond to the good news of Jesus would not. Now, in contrast to those who do not believe, there's a group who will believe. They will believe the testimony of John the Baptist and John the Gospel writer, that Jesus is the Messiah. They will come to understand who Jesus is and through faith submit their lives to him. Those who do so are given the privilege to be called children of light. John then used a familial image to make his point. Those who believe are born of God. Not physically, but spiritually. John used this imagery in other places, such as John chapter 3, where Jesus told Nicodemus that he must be born again to be a part of God's kingdom. God's children are born again into his family. Believers are no longer in the family of their first parent. Adam, through their inherited sin nature, Rather, believers are born again into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So we leave the family of Adam to become to join the family of God. It would be easy to miss the deity of Jesus amid all the details of his earthly life. The facts surrounding his birth may seem too familiar, even with the knowledge of a virgin birth and cosmic guides. Sometimes we can get caught up in the birth of Jesus as a baby born to Mary. John didn't want us to miss, however, that this one who lived among the people, though he was birthed, is fully God. And he had always existed and will always exist full of glory. The third point of the lesson is the word of God in glory. Now we find this in John chapter 1 verses 14 to 18. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because He existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from His fullness. For the law was given through Moses, 
Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Now, verse 14 concisely summarizes Jesus' incarnation. The word incarnation refers to Jesus taking on flesh to enter the world. There is another, this is another way to speak of the conception and birth of Jesus or the process described by Paul to the Philippians, where he says Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. John was trying to help us understand that the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, existed as God from the foundation of the world. He was the means by which all things were created. And he is the one who sustains all things by his powerful word. Yet this eternal Son of God came to earth as Jesus, who was truly God and truly man, one who was born of a virgin, lived, ministered, taught, and then ultimately was crucified and resurrected for the salvation of God's people. Now, verse 14 plays on the image of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, using the corresponding Greek word translated dwelt to describe what Jesus did in coming to the earth. He tabernacled among his people. Even greater than the tabernacle of old, God's glory dwelt fully in Jesus, and he is the means by which people can worship God rightly. And finally, this tabernacling was the full revelation of God's glory. As Jesus embodied both the grace and truth of God, the text says that he was full of grace and truth. Such fullness of grace and truth is only possible for God. This truly makes him glorious. John the author then pointed to John the Baptist as a witness to Jesus' glory and pre-existence that uniquely qualifies him as God. We receive the grace of God from Jesus' fullness as God. John's phrase, grace upon grace, denotes the overflowing, overwhelming nature of the grace of God. Through Jesus, God has fallen, has given fallen sinners grace they do not deserve. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection made a way possible for sinners to be made right with God. They could experience this grace upon grace through faith and repentance. John then noted that this is something that Jesus alone could do. The law of Moses brought truth to the world. In the law, sinners could see their rebellion clearly and their need for God's forgiveness. The standard was established, but the law could not bring grace. There was no means by which sinners could be permanently and perfectly forgiven. They could merely be brought to the point of conviction and need a subsequent and, and need and subsequently then offer a sacrifice as the law prescribed so that their sins could be forgiven for a time. Ultimately, full forgiveness was impossible, apart from the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus did not relax this standard of truth. In fact, in many places he seemed to up the magnitude of God's law. He brought truth, but he also brought grace. 
In Him is the fulfillment of the law. Sin could be forgiven forever. He was the means by which sinners could both see their sin and be forgiven of that very sin. This was something the law of Moses could never, ever do. In verse 18, John concluded by highlighting that Jesus is the way humans see God. Jesus literally is God in the flesh. So the best means of understanding the nature and character of the triune God is to look at Jesus. John noted that this pleased God. God wants to be known, and he loves his creation. This love compelled him to reveal himself to the world in a form that humans could actually see, with teaching they could understand, and through a life that would give evidence to the full grace and truth of God. God revealed himself to the world in Jesus and continues to do the same today. Though Jesus is not physically present now, God continues to reveal Jesus through his spirit and his word. John's gospel is meant to put Jesus on display so that God can continue to open the eyes of those blinded in sin so that they may see his glory. Now, I want to close this lesson with a voice from church history. It's J.C. Ryle, who lived from 1816 to 1900. Can we wonder that the Lord Jesus, in his preaching, should continually draw lessons from the book of nature? When he spoke of the sheep, the fish, the ravens, the corn, the lilies, the fig tree, the vine, he spoke of things which he himself had made. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we just thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to earth to be a model for us and to be a sacrifice that would save us from our sins. And Lord, I pray for those that are sick and hurting this morning that you would just send the Holy Spirit to guide and comfort them and to restore them and raise them up, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that you open our hearts and minds to who you are today and that you send the Holy Spirit to guide each of our footsteps, whether it be to the left or to the right. Send the Holy Spirit to guide us in all that we do. For it's in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen.